I want to start with this article. I was thinking of a bunch of different ways to start this class, but this is what really impacted me three years ago when we started uh, fall semester 2014, and this really happened. This is from Sports Illustrated that's not known for throwing out a lot of Christian articles, uh, or if any at all, but this is pretty cool. I think you guys are going to be impressed by this. They played the oddest game in high school football history last month down in Grapevine, Texas. It was Grapevine Faith versus Gainesville State School, and everything about it was upside down. For instance, when Gainesville came out to take the field, the Faith fans made a 40-yard spirit line for them to run through. Did you hear that? The other team's fans. They even made a banner for players to crash through at the end. It said, Go Tornadoes, which is also weird. For Faith, Christian school was the Lions. It was rivers running uphill and cats petting dogs. More than 200 Faith fans sat on the Gainesville side and kept cheering the Gainesville players on by name. I never in my life thought I'd hear people cheering for us to hit their kids, recalls Gainesville's quarterback and middle linebacker Isaiah. I wouldn't expect other parents to tell somebody to hit their kids, but that's exactly what they wanted us to do. And even though Faith walloped them 33-14, to 14, the Gainesville kids were so happy that after the game, they gave head coach Mark Williams a sideline squirt bottle shower with Gatorade. Got to be the first Gatorade bath in history for a coach that just finished the season 0-9. But then you saw the 12 uniformed officers escorting the 14 Gainesville players off the field, and 2-2 two and two started to equal 4. They lined the players up in groups of 5, handcuffs ready in their back pockets, and march them to the team bus. That's because Gainesville is a maximum security correctional facility for juveniles, 75 miles north of Dallas, Texas. Every game it plays is a road game. This all started when Faith's coach, Chris Hogan, wanted to do something kind for the Gainesville team. Faith had never played Gainesville, but he already knew what the score would be. For Faith was 7-2 going to the game, Gainesville 0-8 with two touchdowns all season. Faith has 70 kids, 11 coaches, the latest equipment, and involved parents. Gainesville has a lot of kids with convictions for drugs, assault, and robbery, many of whose families had disowned them, wearing seven-year-old shoulder pads and ancient helmets. So Hogan had this idea. What if half of our fans, for one night only, cheered for the other team, he sent out an email asking the faithful to do just that. Here's the message I want to send, Hogan wrote. You are just as valuable as any other person on planet Earth and loved by Jesus. Some people were naturally confused. One faith player walked into Hogan's office and said, Coach, why are we doing this again? And Hogan said, Imagine if you didn't have a home life. Imagine if everybody had pretty much given up on you. Imagine what it would mean for hundreds of people to suddenly believe in you. Next thing you know, the Gainesville Tornadoes were turning around on their bench to see something they had never seen before. Hundreds of fans and actual cheerleaders cheering for them. I thought maybe they were confused, said Alex, a Gainesville lineman. They started yelling defense when their team had the ball. I said, what? What are they cheering for us for? It was a strange experience for boys who most people cross the street to avoid. We can tell people are a little afraid of us when we come to their games, said Gerald, a lineman, for more than three years. You can see it in their eyes. They're looking at us like we're criminals. But these people, they were yelling for us by our names. Maybe it figures that Gainesville played better than it had all season, scoring the game's last two touchdowns. Of course, this might be because Hogan put his third-string nose guard in at safety and his third-string cornerback at defensive end. Still. After the game, both teams gathered in the middle of the field to pray, and that's when Isaiah surprised everybody by asking to lead, a kid from Gainesville. 
We had no idea what the kid was going to say, remembers Coach Hogan. But Isaiah said this, Lord, I don't know how this happened. So I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known. There were so many people in this world that cared about us. That always gets me. <laughs> and it was such a good thing when everybody's heads were bowed because that's might have, they might have not seen Coach Hogan wiping away tears. As the tornadoes walked back to their bus under guard, they each were handed a bag for the ride home to top it all off. A burger, some fries, a soda, some candy, a Bible, and an encouraging letter from, the faith, from each of the faith players. The Gainesville coach saw Hogan, grabbed him hard by the shoulders, and said, you'll never know what you did for our kids tonight. You'll never, ever know. And as the bus pulled away, all the Gainesville players crammed to one side and pressed their hands in the window, staring at these people they'd never met before, watching their waves and smiles disappear into the night. Anyway, with the economy six feet under and Christmas running on about three and a half reindeer, it's nice to see one of the best presents of all given away for free, hope, love, and faith. And so it is with you guys. Reviving our passion for people, what is it all about? It's about this. It's about believing in others. It's about instilling God's faith in others. It's about giving God away to other people. To have passion for other people is to give them what we have. How many of you guys have had your lives saved? Raise your hands. Every one of us that's a believer in Christ, that's committed to him, that's been baptized, that's living faithful, faithfully for him, we've had that CPR performed on us by Jesus. We've been saved. Are we not going to turn that around and give it to other people? My brother works as a firefighter, and uh, more when I was single, not so much since I've been married with a three-year-old, but I'd go to the firehouse because I knew there was three free meals there because my brother's like, come on down, somebody else cooked for us, come on down. My brother's in the life-saving business, more physically, obviously, as a firefighter, but a lot of people that have had their lives saved will come and cook meals for the firefighters. Do the firefighters mind, us? mind it? Absolutely not. They're loving it. And they, and they usually bring so much food, they invite family members and friends. So we have a big block party. We have a great time out at the firehouse, uh, close to our house. And, uh, and I enjoyed going more now that when I didn't have home-cooked meals for myself. Uh, they showed their thankfulness for having their lives saved. How do we show our thankfulness? Do we have that same passion for people in our ministry? And are we constantly bringing people into our ministry to find that love in Christ? Reviving our passion for people, churchgoers believe that their foremost passions line up with Scripture. Passion for Christ, passion for one another, passion for sharing the gospel and making disciples, and passion for serving the least of these. And this is absolutely correct. This is and does line up with Scripture. However, next. Society today believes the passions of ministries and church members are this. So we're talking about the outside world. They believe... We're only passionate about our churches, ourselves mainly, and passionate for our views on social issues. Why the disconnect? Is that perception justified or just an excuse to dismiss Christianity? Churches once had passion when they viewed the community as their customers. And this is what you guys at the crossings do, do such a good job of. I constantly see your invites. I constantly say, yes, I'm coming, even though I'm in Florida and I'm, you know, I'm not coming. <laughs> but, but I'm like, but I want to respond. So I'm like, yeah, I'm coming. And so you guys do a great job of reaching out to the community, of remembering that the community is who we're serving. Bless you. The world is who we're serving and not ourselves. 
Like the church during its first 1900 years, Peter, Paul, and Jesus' disciples preached and healed outside the church at every opportunity. Think of the apostles. Think of the disciples. Think of what Jesus' ministry did. You know, they were constantly out there serving other people. They weren't always at the temple. They were sometimes, but they were constantly out there serving others. Churches, you think back to the early 1900s, churches were the food bank and homeless shelter until the last century. Churches started the schools and the hospitals, a lot of them that we have in America. They served as a spiritual, educational, and charitable center of town in cities across this country and throughout the world. Next. What killed our passion when churches started treating the members as the customers and that's the problem with how the world sees a lot of churches today is when they see the members as the customers just keeping the saved saved what can revive passion truly treating members as the church and remembering what our mission is and what is our mission what's that what's our mission that's right. Seek and save the lost. It's the Great Commission. It's to do what Jesus commanded. It's to do what God wants us to do, to replicate, to go out there and to seek and save the lost. Because we're so grateful our lives were saved, just like those Gainesville players, just like the people that my brother goes out and saved. And by the way, he's brought a lot of people to me that they're like, they're, they're like what can we do for you? Well, this food's nice, but why don't you go visit our church? It's great. And so we want to save people's lives spiritually. That's the biggest thing that we want to do. The greatest enemy of passion and reviving our passion for people is comfort. We get too comfortable. Comfort brings members back next Sunday, but it doesn't motivate believers to rock the world for Christ. Will we have the audacity to challenge congregations to step far outside their comfort zones to live that prayer, care, share, ministry style and risk losing consumers? We've got to get outside ourselves and get out into the world and remember why the church was so passionate in saving us and that we need to be as the church each and every day going out there to save others' lives. Number two, shift from fighting an air war to a ground war. It's easier to speak than to act. To protect turf by defending the Christian stance on social issues than to show compassion to the hurting and helpless. Yet love is the only way and the only weapon that will win the culture war in America. A louder megaphone will only deepen the divide between us and them. Society already sees our passion for what we're against, not necessarily our passion for what we're for. We've got to show the world our passion for what we're for, and what we're for is Jesus Christ. And number three, prepare the troops for battle. This is all basically intro stuff, by the way. This isn't main points that I'm flying through. Prepare the troops for battle through discipleship, and then deploy them into the mission field locally and around the world. Taking responsibility for sharing what we believe, not leaving that to the professionals, not leaving that to the ministers, not leaving that to Carrie and to Robert and to Mackie and to myself, and, but really all of us being passionate about being the living embodiment of Christ. Between Sundays, what are we doing? What are we doing? Okay, maybe we meet for a cross chat, maybe we meet for an activity, but what are we doing each and every day on our campuses? Remembering what Mackie said just a moment ago and not being dead to the world, remembering that every moment we're not active with Christ and sharing his love with others, that the devil's out there actively working against us and actively working to undo everything we're trying to do for God's kingdom. Jesus, never heard of him. 
well, you could be the only Jesus someone ever knows. The gospel, and this is the way I really try to define this to our ministry like this. The gospel is the good news, the divine message of salvation in Christ Jesus. Evangelism is the communication of that message. We've got to be able to all articulate and communicate that message. I can tell you about Mackenzie all day long. I can tell you wonderful stories about my three-year-old daughter. Love talking about her. Uh, but can I talk to you about Jesus Christ? Am I in love? Am I in that love with the creator of all things, the one that gave me my beautiful wife and my beautiful daughter? Can I talk to you about Christ and my love for him and really articulate that message? The communication of that message, how then, Romans 10, 14, can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Who preached to you? Who shared the word with you? Are you going to be that living embodiment of Christ's message to somebody else? You know, reviving our passion for people is being all about being able to share and articulate that message. And hopefully we're not afraid to. I'll tell you one thing. Sometimes people on our campus throw tough questions at us because Florida is very worldly. And so when our students are on campus, they say, hey, if you are, you feel like, you know, even though I know the Spirit can speak through you, we'll look at a later scripture. But even if you feel like you can't answer a question, then say, hey, let's talk to another person in our ministry that can answer that question. Let's talk to somebody else that can help answer that question. Instead of one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one, that's what we're all here for as brothers and sisters in Christ, to help each other answer those tough questions. Or say, hey, let me get your number. Let me take a moment. Let me call you back tomorrow or call you back tonight when I research that a little bit more. It's okay to say I don't know, but it's not okay to let people go. Okay? God is still speaking through you and through me. Let's go. Next. All right. The world we live in, it's a whole new world. Taxes done for you online. Just done my, just did my taxes. Just done my taxes. Uh, just completed my taxes online. Got our tax return, which was great in, for 2016 because in 2015, it took me about a year and a half to get that tax return. Uh, my uh, accountant... Uh, put one thing on the wrong line, and then I called my accountant who was uh, about 200 miles away in Tampa Bay. I'm up in Gainesville, and I was like, hey, you messed something up. And he's like, all right, I'll fix it. And then he never got back to me. I'm like, what happened? And uh, he had passed away, so yeah. Yeah, that was bad. But thank God he was a Christian, but that didn't help me with the IRS. (laughs) So I was like, ah. (laughs) So anyway, we got that all straightened out, but he did everything for, I got another accountant that was a Christian friend of his to take care of everything. So everything got done, but it's amazing what we can do in hours that used to take days to do, or even minutes sometimes. Meal orders taken online, I was with our students, and a lot of times at restaurants now, they, they show up, the food's brought to our table. I'm like, what? Did you, how did you got? They were like, oh, we just got the app and we ordered online before we got. I'm like, okay, I need to get with the times here. Um, hundreds of marketing choices in any area. Uh, it's so easy to throw out. If you have an idea right now, to toss it out there uh, on Facebook or Twitter or any other way to market it. There's a million ways to market now. Keep going. 
Instant communication through social media, phone, text, and email. Um, I did grow up in the time, uh, like the Kochmans and others, that you know there was no instant getting a hold of anybody. It was just like, all right, email. Hope they check their email. Even before that, I don't even know. We called people and hope they showed up. You know, they were like, all right, on our landlines, I'm gonna take you out for a date now at Harding and. I would hope that that person would show up at their dorm at a certain time, and if they weren't, I'm like, I guess she didn't like me. So that, I mean, there was instant communication. We're so well connected today in the world, but I'll tell you this, and this is for certain, I think we're more disconnected than we've ever been in this world. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about. 80% of the world remains unchurched. Is it because people you know, have visited church once and don't like it. I think most people have not even been inside the doors of a church or they've heard something or they've heard a story and they're just like, I don't know about that. You know, are we taking the time, the people that know them and should love on them and be the only Christ that they've ever known to them, uh, talking to them about our Lord and Savior, are we doing that? We're not doing a great job. Missions is not a program or a project some people in the church do from time to time. It's the church's very nature to be God's missionary people. A missional church is a community of God's people who live as a daily demonstration of what God plans to do for all creation in Christ Jesus. Every year we do a Honduras mission trip, and we also do some other mission trips. And one of those Honduras mission trips, I remember all of our students coming back off that trip. And if you do short-term missions or whatever it is you do to serve the community, that's great. But just like Mackie said, it serves us nothing if we're not talking about Christ after we've served their physical needs. We've got to meet those spiritual needs. And so... And coming off those trips, our students are always worried that they're going to lose that high, you know, the high we are having right now. But coming off this retreat, are you going to lose that high? You won't if you continue to live out this purposefully. We have to get up every day. I know I hate going to the gym, but I love going to the gym. I always feel good when I've gone to the gym, but it takes me uh, time to think about it. And I'm like, I got this excuse of like, oh, I got to get home to Mackenzie. Julie probably needs me. Uh, and then, you know, I can go a week without going to the gym. But when I get in the gym, I know it's good for me. When I'm purposeful about living for Christ and articulating his message to others and really being purposeful and sharing him and having that passion for people that we all need to have and fulfilling his mission, then we're we feel, not, we feel not only better, we feel at our best because we're doing what Christ wants us to do. Um, we used to have a sign, by the way, in our church parking lot that said we're now entering the mission field, and those signs were stolen, so I have to replace them. Uh, and I'm like, oh, well, there's a good reason why we were entering the mission field, because there's people that are out there that are thieves. But we need to get out there. <laughs> we need to get out there and really remember that every time we leave our buildings, not I hate saying church parking lot because we are the church, but when every time we're leaving where we meet, we need to remember that we're entering the mission field. The mission field is right across the street at Walmart. That is Walmart up there, right? I don't know. <laughs> God's call and mission. The greatest characteristic of a vital congregation is the ability, like I've said before, to articulate and live God's purpose. What is God calling this church right here at CMU? What is God calling this church to be and to do at this time in this place with the gifts. We have so many gifts that God's given this room that we should be passionate about, thankful, and humble in sharing in this corner of God's realm that we are placed in St. Louis, in Tulsa, in Tampa, in Gainesville, wherever we're at, wherever we're from, Alabama, uh, Oklahoma. You guys have the opportunity to get out there and spread that message and be passionate for people. And this is what gets me. This is really what gets me. 
Um, Pew Research Study, my brother actually looked this up because he knew the lesson I was studying for, and he's like, did you know this? I was like, I didn't know this, so I worked the slide in. But basically, it says here, 62% of people in the world said in a recent poll, this is a Pew Research poll, so 1,000 people are, are asked a question here, or 1,000 people are asked a question there. 1,000 random people, not Christians, but 1,000 random people in this world were asked the question, would, if, if somebody were to study with you about Christianity or share Christ with you, because uh, we're still ahead of Muslims by this much, but we're still ahead uh, as far as the churches in this country, um, would you be receptive to listening to them? 62%, six out of every 10 people basically said, yes, I would be receptive. Are we're the ones that are not doing the talking. We have a perception of the world, right? We got to quit that perception and look at the world through Christ's eyes. Revive our passion, Lord, for people. People are willing and wanting to listen. That doesn't mean six out of ten will be converted, but you don't know what God can do through you. Make yourself available. All right. Listen, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. Most people listen with the intent to reply. This is completely convicting to me because this is me. <laughs> I'm always like, all right. You know, uh, I don't always talk to people with the intent to understand. Are we really giving people an opportunity to explain themselves, to explain their situation, to explain their backgrounds, to really invest in other people's lives? I mean, this doesn't have to be just the, your roommate or your lost friend on campus. or, or just, It can be anybody. I, I go through the same line at Publix. That's their store in Florida, uh, for those that are familiar with those uh, grocery stores. And I always am talking to the same people and taking the opportunity to talk to them about Christ, like I'll just give, sometimes it starts with little things like maybe my second time or third time through the line, here's, here's an invitation to church, but then really talk to them like, how are you doing? Like, what are you doing after the, your shift? You know, like what, what's going on in your life? Like, we don't often take the times to get to know the waitresses, to get to know the people in our grocery store line, to really get to know the people in our world. And our world's all different. A lot of us share the same friends at school, but a lot of us have different friends and different classmates and different people people that we see and meet in the community, if we would all take the time to look at and have that passion for people, man, God can change the world in a big and mighty way. But I want to share this picture with you. This is our family this past December. This is my mom's dream to have us all dressed in white by the beach. My parents live like five minutes from the beach, so you would think this picture would have happened a lot sooner. But it took us until this point to get this picture. What makes this picture so special to me is that both my parents battled cancer this past year. A year ago, this is, this, this is just recent, uh, but a year ago my parents uh, were both diagnosed with cancer. First my mom with uterine cancer and then my dad with lymphoma a month later. It just blew our world away. My elders at our church were like, hey, whatever time you need to take to go be with your parents to... Uh, set up the, the uh, doctor's visits to do whatever you need to do. We had two churches, the one in St. Pete where I'm from and the church in Gainesville, constantly praying for my parents, constantly lifting, up, lift, lifting them up in the prayer. Right now they're both in remission. So this is awesome. But what was really cool was both my parents are very missional-minded people. So as the doctors were working to save their lives, they were working to save the doctors' lives. They both chose doctors that were older, that have done it 10,000 times. They were given the choice of like, hey, yeah, here's a 28-year-old doctor. They're like, no. <laughs> Give me like the guy that's 50 that's done this a bunch of times and saved a bunch of lives. Uh, my mom's success rate was 80%. My dad was diagnosed at a 60% success rate. So both of them uh, 
fortunately, by the grace of God, were given that opportunity. But what was really cool is both my parents evangelized to the doctors that, that were working with the nurses. They each brought one of their physicians to church. And that's what they were concerned about. They're like, we might go out, but you're going out for eternity. So let me save your life. All right, let's keep going. What do people crave? People crave physical hunger. You guys just graze downstairs, at least a lot of you. I had one of those cheese things that was amazing. Uh, but physical hunger, emotional hunger, spiritual hunger. This is what people crave. All right, we're going to go through this fast. When people are lonely, what are they craving? They're craving love. What are they craving when people are experiencing strife? They're craving peace because this world is full of strife. By the way, this picture cracks me up. I don't know why. <laughs> All right, keep going. <laughs> what are they craving when people are anxious or afraid, dissatisfied or, dis or depressed? Well, again, they're craving comfort. Listen, on what do people base their hope? Well, the only thing that can satisfy any of those cravings is what we're given as God followers. Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We have these that satisfy our cravings. Are you going to give these things away to the world? I'm terrible at patience sometimes. I get in traffic, especially in Gainesville, and I'm just like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm going to be late for this meeting. I'm going to be late for this. I'm going to be late for that. And uh, I had to have one of my interns kind of twist it all around for me. He's the guy that always seems to find the person that's broken down. And he's really good at, like, he's got all the, the jumper cables. And he's mechanically inclined. He's an engineer, but he also is practical smart. He's not like most engineers that are like, okay, yeah, I know how to, you know, fix this or that in a, on a technical scale, but I can't fix your car or I can't do this, but he, he, uh, he, on one of our biggest events of the year, missed the whole thing completely, and I'm like, where were you? And on his way, Jacob said, hey, look, I had to stop because somebody was broken down, and then when I, and then when I got them the proper help that they needed, they started pouring themselves out to me, and, and we got to study the Bible together, and I'm like, I went from like, Jacob, where were you? To like, awesome job, man, awesome job, <laughs> great, you keep doing that, you can miss every big event we have if you're doing that, okay? That is what we're about. Where'd it go? No. <laughs> okay. Are we back up? Okay. That's fine. I'll just keep going. I got my notes here. All right. If I can find it. Give me just a second. Okay. We're back on track. I'm going to keep going without the notes. So how did Jesus respond? He did with respect. He answered questions, and he gave a message of hope. How did Jesus respond? I'm going to say that again. Jesus listened. He listened to people. He always took time to listen to people. He treated with respect, number two. He treated people with respect. Now, you think about that, and you think, well, Jesus didn't always act Look, look like he act respectful when he was tossing things out of the temple uh, with the money changers or when he was talking with the Pharisees and Sadducees and the teachers of the law oftentimes. Was that respectful? He, there was a righteous anger. There was a come to Jesus meeting. It was done out of love. And I'll tell you this, he always treated with respect and for 
the times that he was angry at somebody, it's because it was somebody that knew better but didn't do better, you know. And so it is with us. Many on that day, last day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I fill in the blank? And he'll say, get away from me. I never knew you because he knew better but knew do better. He answered questions. Yay, Devin. He answered questions. And he gave a message of hope. He always answered people's questions. He always gave the message of hope. Hopefully, we respond passionately to people with these same four things that Jesus did. Four ways to bridge the gap to Jesus. And I'm going to end the class with a passage of scripture and sharing on each of these four things. And if this looks familiar at all, it'll look more familiar in a moment. Uh, Robert Cox did a series, Who's the One? A lot of you guys were part of that. Fantastic series. He's like, Donnie, share the series in Florida. I'm like, yes. And so I did. It was fantastic down in Gainesville for our ministry and for our church. We just did that. And uh, these four points are from the very first one of those things. Because uh, when I thought about being passionate to people, I was like, man, these four things hit it right on. So um, anyway, living consistently, watching expectantly, risking freely, and speaking wisely. Let's go. Living consistently. From Acts 6, 3 through 5, my friends, choose seven men who are respected and wise and filled with God's spirit. We will put them in charge of these things. We can spend our time praying and preaching. This suggestion pleased everyone, and they began by choosing Stephen and Philip. From the time we meet Philip, we see a model of consistency. We, somebody, we see somebody who's very passionate for people. How passionate? Let's keep reading here in just a moment. But first of all, I want to share two specific benefits of living consistently. It allows God to use me and allows others to listen to me. If you guys will be consistent, just like Mackie shared a moment ago on reviving our ministries, it allows God to use me and allows others to listen to me when we live consistently for him, when you guys live unshakingly. Um, so we have to do that to live consistently. Um, I know I was talking with an atheist in our church, or not, sorry, not our church, an atheist on our campus uh, who were trying to get to church, but the very, one of the very first things that he said was, um, and he's a science major, he said that he doesn't consider, the reason he decided to come at least take a visit was he doesn't consider somebody to be a Christian, because other Christians have, have told him that they were Christians, but none of them had ever tried to convert him. He's like, how can somebody say they're a Christian if they're not trying to convert me? He's like, you guys tried, so we'll come your way. That's amazing to me. That blows my mind that nobody that he's ever met before that claimed to be a Christian has ever tried to convert him. What's going on there? Where's the passion for the people? Living consistency, consistently. Be careful about the way you live and about what you teach. So there's teaching involved in living consistently. Not just by the way you live, but opening your mouth. Keep on doing this, and you will save not only yourself, but the people who hear you. 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch expectantly. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man we read about in Acts 8, had gone down to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariots reading, chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. I want you to catch something here before we move on. He had gone from Ethiopia, the capital there, to Jerusalem. Do you know how far that is? 
Yeah, 1,100 miles. If you're, if you're doing Seeking the Savior with somebody else, you know. Yeah, it's about a six-month journey by chariot. Maybe if you had a really fast, stacked-out chariot, maybe three or four months. But no. It's, so this guy was going on his way because he was that curious, because he wanted to know about this Jesus who he heard about. Do you think he was wanting somebody to talk to him about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And did God send somebody? The guy that made himself available, Philip. Let's keep going. Not everyone is seeking God, but everyone is seeking something. Let me tell you a story about Mackenzie real quick. Julie and I take Mackenzie to the mall uh, at least once a week, not because we like to go to the mall and shop around a lot. Maybe my, my wife does more than I. I like to just get in and get out. But, but anyway, when we go to the mall, we take her to the playground, like to burn her energy, and then bring her home asleep in the car. That's a good mall trip to me. And so one time we, we took her towards the closing of the mall. Uh, so yes, we were those parents that had the three-year-old out at nine, and we're like, yeah, we're campus ministry parents. Uh, bless you. We're campus ministry parents. You know, oftentimes we have our three-year-old up till 11 or midnight, but hey, it's another matter. It's what we do. This, this is what we signed up for. Uh, but as far as Mackenzie goes, when I, Julie had gone off um, to look at a few things for Mackenzie, and I had her at the playground, and she was playing with another young man. I was like, oh, this is cute. This is nice. And it was about 10 till 9. I was like, wait a second. There's no other parent here but me. And they were having a good time playing. I was like, cool, but I'm not responsible for this kid's life, am I? <laughs> like, like they're just running around having a good time. And suddenly you see a mom appear out of nowhere with a mall security guard. And she's like, Billy. And, you know, and the kid's like looks up happy. And then all of a sudden a sunken face. And he's like, oh. And he started crying and bawling because he realized at that moment he was lost. He was away from his mom. Do lost people always realize that they're lost? No, not at all. It's your job to point it out to them, to help throw them the life preserver. Risk freely. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I love it, love it, love it. We have uh, the first baptism of our school year was a young lady named Grace. We were out there tabling on UF's campus. We used to table and we used to like just hand out, you know, a card, say, oh, hope you come to church and a piece of candy. We're like, yeah, this is, this is ineffective. Let's try this another way. I mean, really, most people come into our ministry through friendship evangelism, through one person inviting another. But we set up the table again because a lot of other groups and clubs were set up there and we're like, let's try this a different way. Let's say, let's set it up with giving away Bibles and saying, if you're open for Bible study, we're here for you right now or come to our meeting tonight. Let's do this, let's do this a different way. We had a lot more success with that. Um, but anyway, a young lady named Grace, she was walking by with her headphones on, and she's like, and then one of her, right before Grace walked by, one of her guys was like, I'm not going to sit here. I'm just going to stand out on the sidewalk, not block people, but just kind of say, hey. And so he did, and Grace is like, oh, hey, how are you? And this is on a Wednesday. Started talking to her, found out she grew up Catholic, but she hadn't really attended church much especially since she had gotten to Gainesville, uh, to UF's campus. And so she started talking a little bit, and she was like, yeah, I'd, I'd be open to a Bible study. So they're like, well, why don't you come tonight? And so she was like, all right, I'll come tonight. That was Wednesday night. She came to our big Bible study. A few of our students talked to her afterwards. Uh, Thursday, she came to our women's small group a day later, 
the next day was Cocoa Beach, Loco and Coco. She came to that. And so on Saturday, she got baptized, all because one of her guys were willing to risk freely and say, instead of sitting back here, I'm just going to go out there. And then what was really cool was Grace said, you know, I'm going to go by. She purposefully went by, because there's another route around the tables on campus. But she purposefully went by the tables because she's like, she felt alone on campus. She had just gotten there from New York. She didn't know anybody. She's like, if somebody's willing to really take time to talk to me, I want to see what their group or club then is all about. And then she became part of Gators for Christ. So risk freely, people. Risk freely, brothers and sisters. This is Michael Phelps, greatest swimmer in the world, okay? One story you may not know about Michael Phelps, this is taken from the London 2012. Of course, he came back in 2016. But he... Some of you may not realize that Phelps retired after the 2012 Olympics. He wasn't going to come back. He wasn't going to swim anymore. He became utterly depressed in 2013. In 2014, he decided he was going to kill himself. The greatest, most decorated swimmer in the world, rich, powerful, well-known for being a good guy. But the one thing he was lacking in his life was Christ. And so at the end of 2014, one of his buddies got a hold of him and said, hey, Let's turn this around. Let's, I know what you're missing. I didn't even know you were depressed. I didn't know you were thinking about taking your life. And so he studied with him. He became a Christian in 2015, decided to swim in the Olympics in 2016. And this time he retired saying, I can walk away from it because I have everything now. I have Christ in my life. And so don't ever overlook people because you think they're good people. Don't over walk past people or not think that somebody doesn't need Christ. If they don't know him, you're the ones that have to be passionate enough to give it to them. Speak wisely, number four, Acts 8, 32 through 35. How can I, he said, and I'm going to repeat this on purpose, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears are silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and began talking to him about Jesus, the good news about Jesus. Speak wisely, speak wisely. I want to tell you about uh, Corey, Corey Brinson. Uh, he just went with us on our spring break trip two months ago. Uh, he became a baptized believer because my brother, uh, he was a 23-year-old firefighter. My brother used to be the young guy, now he's the old guy on uh, <laughs> with the fire department. He's like uh, in his mid to late 40s now. And Corey was the rookie that he's like, oh, yeah, I used to be that age. And Corey has seen a number of accidents, especially recently, a number of deaths that they've come upon. There's not perpetual fires in Gainesville, uh, but there's a lot of accidents that the firefighters respond to. And so Corey just, was just being bothered in his first year as a firefighter by seeing all these gruesome deaths. And so he started asking my brother, he's like, there's got to be more to life than this. He, seemed, he said, you seem pretty content and happy. What do you have that, I'm, that I don't have? And my brother's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> so he talked to him about Jesus. He 
told him about coming to our church. And so he started coming to our church. And sometimes we get a visitor in the door and we're not so good at sometimes getting out of our own comfort zone with our own brothers and sisters and going, this person doesn't know anybody, or at least I don't know them. Let me go talk to them. You know, maybe they've been a number of times. Maybe this is their first time, but we've got to get off our own comfortable pews sometimes or our own comfortable seats and get up and recognize when there's not there's somebody that's brand new right at our doorstep. And so fortunately for me, some of our students did that for Corey, talked to him, and after a month he was having a great time in our ministry. He was getting to know people. He's like, I've heard a lot of good lessons here, but I still don't have a roadmap to becoming a Christian. I was like, Corey, nobody's studied with you yet? So let's, he said roadmap because he's studying to be a driver, so he has to have a roadmap. Anywhere he goes in Gainesville, you would think you know your city well until you become a first responder, then you have to take it another step and actually really learn every single road. So Corey asked me, he's like, I don't have the roadmap to become a Christian. Will you give it to me? Just like the Ethiopian eunuch with Philip. I'm like, yeah. So me and one other student sat down on our ski trip. Uh, we were skiing, uh, and uh, and this is just a couple days later. And he's like, he's like talking to me about baptism. I was like, hey, here's a frozen lake. You want to do it right here? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Let's break through the ice and let's do it right here. I'm like, that'd be cool, but I don't think all our students can get here because we had just. He was a good skier like myself, so we had just gone down to Double Diamond Black. And I was like, I don't think anybody actually in our ministry is going to be able to come down here, and and. And get to witness his baptism. He's like, well, let's go up there to them and do it. So we did, and we found a hot tub, which was the opposite of a frozen pool. <laughs> and I baptized him in one of the hot tubs up by our condo. But it was a beautiful and wonderful thing to see Corey respond. And because we had one of our students and myself be able to speak wisely to him. But people are asking the question, are we passionate about giving them the answer? Start where they are, lead them to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. Will somebody read this for us? Only because my phone just died. I don't have a way to read it myself. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. If somebody can read this for us. Whoever gets there first. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm going to hold a microphone to you. This is being recorded. This is small. Okay. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, and that those who, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. All right. If you want to revive your passion for people, then realize Christ died for you. Realize it's exactly what Mackie said a moment ago. It's not about selfishness, not about pride, but it's about humility and giving it all to Christ. Recognizing his death, burial, and resurrection was not just for you, but for all the world. And being passionate about sharing that with others. Next, Acts 8, 36-38. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Amen and amen. Would you like Jesus to become part of your life too? This is a question that you can ask anybody. Okay? This question right here. When, when you're studying with somebody, get to this question. Would you like Jesus to become part of your life too? And this question, this is a, a good key question, because if they're hesitant, they're like, um, I think so, but I still have fill in the blank keeping me from doing that. 
this question, are there any dangling questions that would prevent you from trusting in Christ right now? Are there any dangling questions you have out there right now that would keep you from trusting in Christ right now and help answer those questions? And if you can't, then get two or three other people with you that can. Our problem, separation from God, you guys know this, but this is how I try to explain it to other people. Sin separates us from God. We're on one side, sinful. God's on the other side. He's holy. None of our efforts can bridge this gap. Good works, philosophy, religion in and of itself, or morality, nothing can bridge this gap. God provided the only solution, Jesus Christ. When we're passionate about people, we're passionate about bridging the gap. gap. We're not going to sit there and watch somebody dangling out there without throwing them the lifeline. We're passionate about sharing what bridges the gap in our lives and helping do that for other people. Remember, revival is for somebody that's almost dead. They're not dead yet, but they're on their way to dying. Are you going to throw them the lifeline? Those doctors that saved my parents' lives will be eternally grateful. But let me tell you what happened on in my dad sharing with one of the doctors. The doctor's like, yeah, let's let let's get to know each other a little bit. So we found out that the doctor and my dad lived close to each other. My, the doctor had my parents both out on his yacht, his yacht, you know, at the country club. And so they, they, he was like, you know, it's been great. No, and my dad's a super nice guy, uh, but he can be feisty. And so the doctor was talking about all those wonderful things that he had, all the possessions that he had, not trying to like, show off, but just saying, you know, like, hey, this, you know, God's been good to me too. I have this, 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 and this, and this. And my dad goes into quoting Ecclesiastes. He's like, meaningless, meaningless. And he really said this. He's like, it's all really meaningless without God in your life. And the doctor was like, huh? Nobody's ever said this to me. So he's not a Christian yet, but, you know, there's more opportunities ahead for them to study together. And so, be passionate about sharing the truth with others in love. Be passionate about people. Who is passionate about you? Who helps save or share Christ with you to save your life? Be just as passionate with others. Thanks. Appreciate it.